Hello, Foodie Dashi listeners. Nicholas here. Um, Lauren was off this week, so I sat down with Z and Nim from Square Weasel Studio to talk about storytelling and game aesthetics. Uh, this is the first half of our conversation that you'll get for free. Um, and next week, when the second half comes out, if you want to listen to the rest, you're going to have to head on over to patreon.com forward slash foodie to sign up at the secret squad level to hear the second half of our conversation. But until then, here we go. That's always a great way to start a recording. It's just a giant <laughs> uh, okay, I'll do a little intro bit real quick so that we uh, have something. Hey, everybody. Um, Lauren is off this week. Uh, she's on vacation. She's being extremely lazy. No, she's taking a well-deserved break. But I have with me this time around our two favoritest game designers. Well, okay, maybe I should... Well, but no, actually, you are returning champions. <laughs> Z and M from Square Weasel Studio um, here to collect their cash prize of zero dollars. <laughs> how, how are you two doing today? We're good. Just back from vacation. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so this is going to be kind of a free form discussion because, uh, well, it's technically a well, Monday was a holiday here in the U.S., and so that's one of the reasons why Lauren is gone. Oh. Yeah, I don't... Well, it's a, it's a really stupid holiday. So it's Memorial Day, so it's the day in which we honor all of the people who fought for imperialism, so that's, that's a fun day. Sorry. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Politics session is done. It's funny. We had in Croatia also this Monday some holiday. Uh, also Statehood Day. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, we were just, just like, like went to we wanted is, to go eat somewhere and nothing was working. Is it like adulthood so. for a country where like you are a state now? Congratulations! <laughs> Make a wish and blow out the candles. Yeah. It's coming of age day, but for mm-hmm. nations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we can drink. The country can drink or something like that, or go to war. I don't know. Mm. Well, yeah, no. Well, in the U.S., we have the weird um, like issue of you can be old enough to go die for your country but you're still not old enough to drink so that's always fun because the the age of majority here is 18 but the drinking age is 21 so yeah, i was gotta... so confused when i heard that well, like, <laughs> I, I think it makes sense on the level that if you want to make a decision like that you better not be drunk when you make it <laughs> <laughs> um i suppose it's true but there's still a lot especially when it comes to like army recruiting in the u.s there's still a lot of coercion involved so like when I was in high school, way, way, way back when, you know, in the dark ages, they would yeah. actually allow army recruiters to like come into the lunchroom on a daily basis 
and just like chat and essentially like no one else was allowed to do this like my school was otherwise like locked down but for whatever reason like army navy and marine recruiters were just allowed to like wander the lunchroom going like hey have you thought about a career in the military (laughs) (laughs) and it was kind of odd Uh, yeah, I, I remember learning that if you go, if you join the military, you get a whole bunch of benefits, like they pay for your co- free college education and yes. things like that. I was like, okay, that's that's something. Um, so and then the fu- they made they made video games to recruit people, like the U.S. Army FPS. I, I don't know if you know about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, during the whole like, so people. yeah, the army had this like uh, army of one recruiting thing, um, and part of that was well, it's not okay. It's not just like the games that the army made, but also if you look at AAA studios, AAA studios often have like either. I guess you could say contractors who are either former military or current military who advise them on like the reason why I like all that shit in games like Call of Duty looks so realistic is because they literally have people from the military advising them on those things. Yeah, they have the budget. Well, it's not just the budget. It's that the Pentagon like active like it's it's a you know, they're it's a mutual thing because the the game studio is both getting the benefit of the knowledge of these like military contractors but at the same time also the military is basically getting free propaganda Mm, yeah and it's the same with movies as well so that's fun uh but (laughs) so wait how did we i don't even remember how we got on this topic of recruit oh oh yeah memorial day Holy day. It's a holy day. <laughs> the, the, most, the most holy of days, Memorial yeah. Day. Uh, okay. So to get on to, so what I wanted to actually talk about today, and the reason why specifically I thought this was uh, a good thing for, for bringing you two on, is aesthetics. So on the podcast, uh, Lauren and I have been talking a lot lately, probably too much about mechanics. It's an interesting subject, um, but it can get really abstract and... You know, I was thinking back to when I first played uh, the remainder. So for those of you who are not familiar with Square Weasel Studio, uh, Z and Nim have made an absolutely fantastic game called The Chronicles of Taldun, colon, The Remainder. It used to be just be called The Remainder. So if I, that's what I say, I apologize. Um, yeah, we that, still, still refer, refer to it as a remainder, like <laughs> in, in normal talks. So. Taldun for Google. Yeah. <laughs> It's just for the uh, metadata. Which, by the way, is currently available on, I believe, both Itch and Steam. Uh, You can play the first chapter on Steam for free, and you should, because it is an amazing game. So go out and buy it now, and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. We'll wait. Go ahead. (laughs) Just pause. (laughs) Or or let it play in the background. No, actually, don't let it play in the background, because the music is a really important part of the game. Um, So... When I first played the game, what first attracted me to the game was actually its visual aesthetics. Um, over time, what I grew to appreciate were was the sort of the narrative mechanics the two of you have developed had developed. Um, but that you know took a while to get into, and that was after you know like the whole you know, beta testing phase and stuff like that. Um, so the very first thing that I encountered was the visual style of the game, which is okay. Again, I'm just going to heat praise is amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask, I mean, I remember Nim, you said last time we talked to you that like you were often really dissatisfied with the way things turned out and you kind of want to go back and like redraw everything. Is that sort of an... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's just I made so much progress since I started drawing for this game because I I wasn't actually drawing human characters before. So when I started, it was really clunky. And then over this, what, almost two years of drawing for this, I now know how to draw much better. So I feel like I... Like I can make it better if I if I wanted to. Although now I'm I'm in some kind of lazy mode, so I don't feel like <laughs> reworking it again. But I could if I wanted to. <laughs> if, if we didn't need, uh, need to pay rent or anything, we probably yeah. we might be doing a maybe for some like super deluxe <laughs> edition. <laughs> Actually, or a DLC. Well, no, a DLC probably wouldn't work for. <laughs> okay, uh, no spoilers, but a DLC probably wouldn't work for this game. Maybe oh, we, I, we, we actually because we actually we sketched out uh, very loosely a kind of extension, like maybe another uh, chapter where it, it started as a joke. Can I yeah, talk yeah. about the heroes yeah, thing? Yeah, sure, sure. We started yeah. as a joke that fat fans would like get fed up with those two, and they would go <laughs> like they would go to town and rat them out to the police. <laughs> And there was like a whole social appeal about uh, the evils of Magi and stuff. So then the, they would send a party of like hired mercenaries, adventurers to come and investigate this tower. And then you have this one secret ending where the like some paladin will kick down the door and go like, stop right there, criminal scum. And then we like, we like, look at the door like, huh? Who are you? And then, suddenly the, the story stops and they're trying to get out like of this uh, yeah like some situation so, trying to explain to this paladin that they try to charm their yeah. weasel their way out of uh, yeah. being uh, captured yeah so this this came out as a joke but then later we thought like we could we could do yeah. that because because the the research that win does in the game is actually illegal it's highly illegal yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> if if somebody found out Outside they, of the tower, they could be, be arrested yeah, or something. Yeah. And also, so there is this illegal on two levels. One is experimenting with live humans. You know, like that's yeah, already that's, that's the major thing. That's bad. And also, the other thing is, you know, involving uh, entities. I, I, I don't want to spoil it out, but yeah. you're not supposed to work with certain entities. That's also very, very forbidden. Yeah. So, so there wins breaking both the uh, societal law. And the uh, the magi's code by doing what they're doing. So my magic code is there because how they have everything now set up is making them powerful and making them you know hold the, all the money and power, right? So yeah, they don't yeah. want to to change things. Yeah, you're like an yeah. outlaw priest. Some vigilante. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then the question I had I I wanted to ask was how important. Like how did how did the two of you conceptualize the like sort of like aesthetic qualities of the game? Did you see it as like the draw? Did you see it as the um oh, I, okay, I'll just leave it open-ended. Like how did how did you think about it? Well, at first we we actually wanted to make a black and white game. Okay. So yeah, so since I was doing the ink drawings, I thought it would be black and white. And then like a little bit later. I arrived at this style that we have now. It wasn't like this at the beginning. Yeah, so I started doing some some sketches and then it looked fine, but then I would I always like to experiment. Like I have I make a scene and then I put put it in some filters, draw on, on top of it, try to see what I can do. I never like make one one drawing that I like and say, "Okay, I like it." Moving on. I try to see 
if I can make it even better. So I'm, I try to, to somehow build upon on something good until there is no more time and I need to say, okay, it's good enough. Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember being, I was really inspired by was the, the idea that if you are some kind of uh, magician or you would be writing notes and things with your like ink pen in this old, super old leather bound tome. Yeah. Uh, something like this one, one of you um, manuscript or something, you know, you know, or these like rediscover manuscripts from like the Templars and stuff like that. So I thought if we can get some feeling of that in there. So you feel like when you read those journal entries, you're, you're looking at a, a magical manuscript. Yeah. And so the etched style with the ink and that black and white look will, will be really fitting and kind of gets you into that mood. And then later we, we sort of, shifted over to having more color and a, a, a little bit more color just because it pops a bit more, yeah I guess. well yeah it has a kind of not a sepia quality to it but definitely the the color palette is pretty muted and it's interesting that you bring up sort of like the feel of like old things because it does have that the game does have that feel it has that kind of like antique quality to it like you know you I don't know. I, I imagine this is going to sound really bad, but let me explain. <laughs> I imagine like, you know, you know, my grandmother's house where she has like, you know, all of her like knickknacks and things from like, you know, the early 20th century, just sort of around and they've accumulated over time and there's all this stuff and there's like old furniture and there's a kind of it's like both comforting and creepy at the same time because mm. You, you're clearly in what is comfortable for someone else, but it's not necessarily comfortable for like me personally. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much. Yeah, what, it, what it I, feels I like what. It's, it's, it's like. kind of how our class is. We have, yeah. I have a bunch of knickknacks that are yeah. weird. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you have this weird aunt who who is totally a witch who like collects herbs <laughs> and like cooks stew in a massive iron pot and things. And has just unnamed unnameable things hanging like in you their, know, like, in their one time there was some plumber came and he looked at my jar and he looked at like are those worms <laughs> and he said uh, and it was actually some dried shrimps inside oh yeah. dried shrimps yeah <laughs> and he just like looked at me with googly, googly eyes, eyes yeah. and like <laughs> Are those worms? And like no, no, honey, they're not worms. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, okay. So, like, oh, this relationship between like aesthetics and feel is is curious to me because um, I don't. Okay, I don't want to get into like the theoretical crap that I've been reading because it's a lot of it's really boring, and some of it's been written by someone who's now very disgraced. Um, I had mentioned to Z and M that I myself am working on a game, strangely enough, with my daughter. Um, because I can't draw to save my life. Well, I mean, I can, but I'm not nearly as good as she is. Um, and so she is doing a lot of the uh, the artwork for the game. And her style is very much not what I had originally like thought. Of. Like, it's not what I saw in my head, essentially. And yet, yeah. at the same time, like through the process of like her style, her, st her style of drawing is a little bit more cartoonish. Um, but because of that, like I had originally conceptualized the game in my head as this like 
oh, it's going to be about, you know, the politics of urban planning and it's going to be about struggle. and People are going to have to cooperate and screw each other over. And then there's, it's going to be like Munchkin, but with Carcassonne and, you know, all these other things that was going on in my head. And I thought it was going to be like really dark and it's going to be like, you know, gritty. Um, but through the process of like working with my daughter and talking to her about it, like the game kind of turned out to be a little bit more cartoonish or like, it's still about all those things. It's still about like, you know, trying to screw somebody over, but much like Munchkin that has a, it has a more lighthearted quality to it rather than, and then, you know, otherwise it might've. And strangely mm. enough, it was sort of like those aesthetic qualities that pushed me in that direction. So I guess what I'm curious about is like, did there come a point where sort of the mood that the two of you are creating with the game kind of started to, I don't know, almost like push you in certain narrative and or like, you know, gameplay directions. Mm. Mm. I think that the mood, the mood that was there from the start, that's, that's something that we somehow like knew, knew what, how the game will, will feel. Yeah. Yeah. So that we knew from the start and uh, also for narrative, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel it's also, at least in our case, it's so tied together that I, I can't say that one thing was developing uh, separately from the others. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the mood uh, that you create or the mood that you, you feel, if, even if you don't necessarily have any specific designs and um, language to describe it yet, you have you know how that should feel to you. Like what is the correct feeling for this world, right? For this yeah. story. And then that really helps with, for me, world building. So if I know the, the mood is going to be, it should feel ancient and lived in, and it's dark fantasy, so it, it's, it feels, it's, kind, it's a kind of suppressed, everything's kind of suppressed. There's no, uh, like, this vibrance and mm-hmm. uh, enthusiasm. Everything is kind of going down, and it's a bit like a Sisyphean, right? It's the yeah, yeah. endless struggle. Yeah. So that helps with the world. Like the world is constantly, is on the a brink of uh, collapse, the society, and um, things are dying and there's a lot of decay everywhere. There's rust, there is mold, the yeah. air is filled with particles and things like that. So, so then it, it constrains you in what kind of things should happen in, in a world like this. Yeah. Right. Maybe like, so this rules out a bunch of things Like we, we wouldn't have kind of, the story wouldn't start with a party or a parade or a wild success in some experiment. It starts with a failure. Yeah. It starts with forgetting yeah. right, and, and trauma. So the, then the world building really shapes uh, and constraints like the storytelling, what kind of plot could happen and what kind of characters might exist in such a world. So the mood kind of goes, influences the world and then influences the, the plot. Um, yeah, something like but that. I think it's also very important not to just pick one flavor and just go with that because it will become we, it's okay. yeah. yeah yeah we did that first yeah. we, we tried to just make it as dreary as possible and then it, <laughs> then we added the humor then later we, when we added some humor to it just some pinpoint uh, accents of humor then it it became much better because it, it contrasted with the the overall backdrop of Mm. this uh, bad feeling it's a bit like when you have all black and white and you put a bit of tint then suddenly it really mm. it comes to life yeah, this was my intention with this uh, like how i was adding red in some parts of the game 
because players will get used to having these bluish this greenish blue green, tones yeah. and then yeah. when suddenly like a bright red appears it will be like okay something is happening something is it will feel off and it yeah. will kind of wake you up so, a little bit so for the aesthetic the visual aesthetic of having just one palette but with uh, a strong accent that's used sparingly is similar to the the dreary tone of the, the world with a hint of humor here and there oh it's yeah kind of, yeah you like uh re resonant with each other so i see that but i do have a question because i think so we, earlier when you were talking about like what i'm going to call the the fuzz pants guide and the fuzz pants like off story mm -hmm. <laughs> um like that that whole scenario that you described you know fuzz pants going off and like you know turning them into the authorities you know and a paladin showing up and beating down the door like that's kind of goofy like no, if, <laughs> i mean <laughs> so like I, but and the thing is that when when you were describing it what i was imagining in my head was not actually the art style of the remainder what i was imagining was something like say a chibi or like super deformed version of the art <laughs> style of the game <laughs> which like you know you have these like cartoonish little characters and maybe it's yeah. done in kind of like a paper mario style where like <laughs> and you know the mob is coming out and they're, like, yeah, and they're fighting there's just a club of dust with like fists and <laughs> yeah exactly um because and, and i think the reason why i imagined it that way in my head is because like the tone of that kind of story and I'm, in many ways this is confirming what you're saying the tone of that kind of story doesn't really match the sort of like the feel of the like the, the visual style and sort of like you know the music and all the sound cues normally because i think you're right that you can still have sort of a generally dreary not dreary dreary is not really like macabre or somber tone to the game and then have like little flashes of humor and that doesn't necessarily disrupt sort of the overall sense of it but mm -hmm. if you go full whole hog into this because fuzz pants i love fuzz pants by the way as a character <laughs> I standalone game, you know, DLC, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but Fuzz Pants also is kind of out of place a little bit in in, in the world of the game. Um, yeah. Not God, because that makes it sound like they, they shouldn't be like they shouldn't be there. That's not right. That's not right. It's more like there is a way to see the game as purely like a through line uh dealing with like you know vin story and forgetting and all those things like you, you could see the game exclusively in those terms and then you know the encounter with fuzz pants periodically takes you outside of that um which works in the game because it's only intermittent well i mean I, okay no spoilers point is <laughs> the game coheres but if you go too far in that direction the game starts to sort of lose its coherence. And I wonder if in losing the coherence, you then also lose the attachment to like a totalizing aesthetic vision. Because you yeah. were talking about the way in which sort of like the world building has this kind of like dominating effect on that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this contradicts that somewhat. Well, so I think, I think in terms of, since I'm mostly a visual artist, right? Yeah. I just think in terms of visual composition, um, for example, if you if you do a painting that's only done with brush and ink, so it's all black and white. Yeah. Um, it's it's hundred percent cohesive. Yeah. And you can make some beautiful aesthetics like that, right? But uh, as in some like Chinese or Japanese uh, water brush uh, art, sometimes they just take a dot of red, like for the sun. Yeah. Or for the crown of a bird. 
or something, and it just put one dot in there, and suddenly it's a different aesthetic. Now it's it's not aesthetic of uh, unity. It's it's unity with a bit of contrast. Yeah. But just about one dot, you get a bit of contrast. So if you go a bit further, you, you, I'm sure you've seen some of these paintings with like birds or goldfish. That's done with a brush and ink. Sometimes one fish or maybe a few fishes will be uh, with color, water watercolor, and the yeah. rest will be black and white. Yeah. So it's like a gradient, right? Of yeah. um, how many, how far you can go away from the the base, let's say, for it still to to have some kind of cohesion. So I, I think it, it's kind of like your your aesthetic choice is how much cohesion do you want and how much uh, contrast do you want? And in, I think in our case, we we're we're comfortable with a, a certain like a good amount of contrast because it is it seems more interesting to me to to break molds um yeah. because you have uh, there's like you have a if you have to weigh the danger of having kind of uh, a disjointed um thing that doesn't have a, a central style yeah that's that's the danger of going too far with contracts and variety and the other end of that scale you have the danger of being too too conservative too yeah. too cohesive yeah. Uh, that people can start to expect what will happen and what uh, they might find in the next page. So yeah. I, for me, the I, I prefer to err on the side of being a bit disjointed rather than too safe. Because safe, it's boring. <laughs> in the end, when we do something, when we add, for example, some comedic part in the in the game, we we just write it and then we see is it too much is it too little yeah, we, and then we we, we, we fish, find we fish some stuff that that we decide was too comedic and mm-hmm. and the thing with the fuzz pants it's um like you have I don't know if I should try to talk around the spoiler or just make a spoiler like flag here and then tell people to come back later but we can okay. try yes okay so, so spoiler warning if you are planning on going okay you literally now have to pause if you're gonna play the game you have to pause you have to go play the game and then you can come back all right go ahead. Right. So just for your your benefit, um, the way I was thinking it is that after Vin has got Erastros into a body. Oh, you're going uh, turbo spoilers. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, going straight, I'm going straight to the deep end. All right. So everything's great, right? You, they've they've saved Erastros, which was thought to be, you know, you, they didn't even think it was possible. They didn't, yeah. it didn't occur to them, but they managed it. And now uh, they have a, a, some kind of like, relationship that they, they can maybe build for the future. And then the next thing that happens is this body can't, it doesn't quite work. Like it's not going to stay healthy. The, the, the homunculus is in bad condition yeah. or the, the, the kind of um, incarnation is very flimsy. So they start to break, uh, have problems. So we needs to go and find a way to preserve this, uh, this, <clears throat> this kind of, incarnation so that Erastros doesn't like rot or something. Yeah. So they're faced with a serious problem now. They have to go out of the tower and go find some some help somewhere. And to, for them to be out of the tower is, is very dangerous because yeah. number one, Vin is completely socially inept. <laughs> <laughs> and for another two, the world is in up, upheaval and Magi are kind of like feared and, and you know, uh, kind of uh, hated and feared. Yeah. So it's dangerous for for by for that on that level, and yeah. also if they run across any magi who would most likely be able to help them with some knowledge of magic and spirits, then they would 
probably uh, be able to tell that what what uh, Erastros is, yeah, and that might let them try to kill them on sight. Yeah. So so it's very bad on many levels. <laughs> so with this, Metri are not feared and hated. They're the ruling class. They're yeah, not... but I mean, there's a revolution going on, right, with the the letters and. By the way, like very so for those of you who are listening, very little of this is in the game. This is like yeah. well, you're getting real lore here. This is the real lore hours. <laughs> well, I mean, do you remember those letters where Vin mentions that the the um, there's yeah, uprising? Like, so and... so there is like a silent uprising. It's not it's not brewing. I mean, it's kind of brewing, but it's not there yet, right? So Vin is trying to to make to find an alternative solution to how we are having, you know, the yeah. Immortality at at current state. Okay, right? in my head is yeah. a little bit more advanced, yeah. but that's yeah. that's okay. It's funny how after so long working on this game together, it turns out that we have completely different views on yeah. something, and then we just realize, okay, we are we have like different ideas about this world that we're making. Well, no, but yeah. I think that's I think yeah. that's good. That's actually that's actually a really good jumping off point for something else that I wanted to talk about, which is that like. You know, when you're talking about, um, say, like, I don't know, like a fantasy novel that has a single author, like the world building is essentially the whatever is in the author's head. But the two of you actually have to kind of negotiate the world between oh, yeah. each other. And we literally just saw that happening right here, <laughs> right now. And so I was wondering, like, do you feel like that is a fundamentally different experience from, say, just like writing something and like designing something completely on your own? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I don't know. I never wrote anything on my own. This was my first time writing something. So uh, I, I've been yeah. sketching some some things, like some short stories and novel type things on the site. Uh, nothing as as advanced and and finished as as the remainder. But yeah, it's absolutely different because when you, when I write for myself, uh, I just I just write, right? I just yeah. make stuff up. This well, this so this having reason- somebody yeah. else to critique you is great because. There are things that I don't think of as having potentially being problematic, yeah. unless somebody points it out. And I'll go like, "Oh, well, that's pretty obvious in hindsight." But you know. yeah, I think that our most productive times of writing this game is when we go for a walk and we talk about what is happening and how to solve something. Yeah, when we yeah. discover some differences we we had, like uh, some big ones, which can be very enlightening and and then uh, help us to reach some conclusion about how to, how to make the story go forward and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it's actually much more efficient when it's two of us because we almost never have a situation when we are stuck. So we always we are always working on something. There is never a, a moment when we have no idea how to proceed. Like if one person is stuck, yeah, then yeah. the other person starts. Yeah, so, sometimes when I... So if I'm by myself and I'm trying to resolve a plot point or a world-building mechanic, I'll just think about like what, how can I do this? You know, I'll think scenarios and stuff like that. When I'm with Nim, I don't have to do that. If I notice there's a problem, like a plot point or something that needs a, a resolution, I'll just ask them, like, so suppose this was to happen, what do you think happens next? And half the time they'll have the answer for that. And the other half the time I will. So somebody always has an answer to the problem. Yeah. I don't need to solve, try to do everything myself or anything like that. So yeah, and sometimes uh, like they're stuck on something, and then they'll just like say, "Oh, I don't, I don't know how to do how to do this," and I'll just help them brainstorm it. So, yeah, I yeah. think it's it's also like 
for example, like if I am stuck with drawing something and I, I can't draw this scene, it, it just, it, I don't have it. And then I just come and give oh. me to, to draw it a bit. And then he would draw it in a way that I don't like it. And then yeah. I would be like, no, no, no. What are you doing? So, give it back. And then yeah. I would... <laughs> we, yeah, we have two people. Sometimes you can help with, uh, by, uh, by doing Sometimes you can help by proving a negative. So yeah. like yeah. a lot of times I, I prove the negative. Like I show them something and it's like, that's totally not a, what I want. Yeah. But now that I see that, I know what I want. Yeah. So, up helping. yeah. so I, I want to bring this back to something that you were saying earlier about sort of like the, the tension between like cohesion and contrast, because it seems to me like if you're existing entirely in your own head, you're almost sort of like, you're, you're experiencing all the problems with too much cohesion because it's like yeah. your, your head tends to try and want to like make everything perfect or at least make everything make sense. And, yeah. But in order, but if you get stuck, like what you have going on in your head is like a complete picture. And so it's like, you don't really see alternatives. So you need that other person there to kind of like show you the alternatives and to sort of like, then, you know, contrast with what's going yeah. on in your head. And I wonder if that feels like, is that an experience of sort of like breaking out of like a particular perspective or a particular view, or is that more sort of like stretching the, the view? Like, does it sort of, this is a weird metaphor I realize, but like, is it, is it more like you have like a conflict between two things and there's sort of like a dialectical resolution, or is it more sort of like, like a pulsar where you have like two stars that are orbiting around each other and they like give off a electromagnetic wave? Uh, I think most of the time is. The, it's like a breakthrough, but the yeah. breakthroughs are not always pleasant. You know, sometimes it's yeah. you, 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 I'm trying to make something work. It, it doesn't quite work yet, but I think if I just go like a little bit further, I'm trying to increment, you know, to make it work. And then they also like that completely doesn't work. We need to do something else. And they'll say something else. But because I'm very stuck on this, on the first area, I have a hesitation to jump over there because it's kind of far away. And I'm just like, yeah, but I don't want to like let give up all this that I've spent all this yeah. time on. But, you know, most of the time uh, to give up the thing that doesn't work, it's like this, uh, what do you call this? Like, um, there's a principle that when somebody has already invested in a, a lot in something. Uh, sunk cost. Yeah. Yeah. That it's hard to give up a, a mistake. So yeah. you keep thinking stuff into that and then lose more. Whereas the smart thing would be to just give up regardless of how much you've invested and go with what is a better idea, uh, you know, like objectively. So well, it's, cur it's curious that know. you say that because isn't that kind of a major theme of the game, this idea of becoming like overly invested in one way of doing things and actually having to ultimately, well, I'm sort of explaining to people how to play the game now. <laughs> I mean, right, right what you know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>